How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Movies and Beyond podcast. I'm Brian Osborne, your host. Thank you so much for hitting that download button today. And today we have got a lot to get into. Most of it going to be reaction to the Academy Awards that just happened the other night as I recorded. It's been a couple of days, so I am a little late in that regard, to which I apologize. But we will get a reaction today. And the other big part of the show will be the review for Birds of Prey that has been out in theaters. A lot of you probably uh, saw the reaction to that and just a little bit, not not a whole lot of news to talk about. So mostly, yeah, it's going to be dedicated to the reaction from the Oscars and the review for Birds of Prey. So let's get into it. We'll go through the Oscars fairly quick because, again, it's uh, I know I'm a little late to the ball game on that one and most of you have already seen the winners. Um, so let's start at uh, the bottom of this page here. We have the best visual effects that went to 1917. Uh, not totally um, surprised by that one. It, I expected, uh, I was rooting for Avengers Endgame. I thought the visual effects were uh, pretty awesome. That's one thing you can always guarantee in the Marvel movies. If you're any kind of um, you know film fanatic, you can at least admire, and maybe you guys aren't into the comic book thing, uh, but Anything you can admire about any of these blockbuster comic book stories are the usually the visual effects. Sometimes there are misses, but I thought Endgame was really good. But I'm not surprised at 1917. Um, uh, well, actually, actually going back, I kind of am looking at the other competition, Lion King. I mean, it was visually stunning. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the movie, but I thought the visuals were great. Irishman, I'm not so sure. I mean, they... Um, the CGI faces didn't really work for me the most of the time, and especially in the first act. But now, even seeing some replays of the third act, uh, especially at the Oscars, and seeing some of the... I, I thought, man, maybe it wasn't as good as I remember. And then Star Wars is Star Wars. Had a lot of great uh, visual effects. Uh, but I understand the Academy went 1917. Uh, moving on, best film editing went to Ford v. Ferrari. That was a surprise. Um, it seems in the last couple of years, you know, a lot of people used to be editing was a good indicator of who's going to win best picture. It always kind of went hand in hand. But in the last few years, editing the editing category, for whatever reason, has went um, kind of, in my mind, it usually always goes to, it. it it's kind of like the in an alternate universe best picture, if you want to call it that. Um, it's kind of the, I usually think of it like this year being Ford v. Ferrari. It's well-deserved. In my mind, it's well-deserved. It could be best picture, but it's just for whatever reason, it wasn't in the running for the award. It's it's one that's it's nominated, and for a lot of people, it was the best picture, but it's just not going to, it's it's just not going to win. Um so I had the same thought a couple of years ago with Hacksaw Ridge, which I know I'm not saying that's as good as Ford v. Ferrari. I'm not saying it was the best picture of that year. But for me, it was, and I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with that movie, but I remember it won film editing, and a lot of people didn't see that coming. I personally thought it was a good uh, pick for, be for best picture if it would have won, but it had no chance uh, for the competition it had that year. But uh, but still, I just thought uh, starting that year in the last couple of years seems editing has on occasion gone to uh, a film that could be best picture in an alternate universe, but in this universe, it's just not going to happen. So anyway, long story short is congrats to Ford v. Ferrari. It is very well edited, um, and, and it's good to see them get a get a trophy. Actually, they got a couple more. Uh, moving on to the best costume design, Little Women, kind of an upset. Nobody really predicted that. I thought it. I I was. I did not see Little Women, so I can't say it did look like um, it was a costume designer's uh, heaven of a movie. Um, as far I, I thought probably Joker would take it. I was personally rooting for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or at maybe more so Jojo Rabbit. The costumes really, uh, uh, um, really jumped out in that movie. 
um, just for whatever reason. But that could have also, maybe it wasn't so much the costumes, maybe more than the production design and just the environment. But I thought the costumes really, uh, if you go back and watch, it just they just really had, kind of had their own spunk to them. Uh, but so, surprise, but not so surprised for little women. Best makeup and hairstyling, bombshell, no surprise there. Um, some people did think it would go to Joker. And I'm a bit surprised too, just because they're following the wave. But this is kind of nice. Uh, Bombshell. One thing that it was it was praised for was the um, was the makeup. So we um, so not a big surprise again. Uh, I did not see Bombshell, but I know the makeup got a lot of raves. And um, so yeah, there's that. Best cinematography, 1917. Roger Deakins gets the win. So well deserved. A lot of people say he's the greatest of all time. I would totally agree. He's been nominated a record, I mean, a lot of times. And as I said last week, he was nominated for a year. I mean, dating back to movies in the early 90s, he was the cinematographer for, I know for, in 94, he did the cinematography for Shawshank Redemption and many other Coen Brothers movies and so many that he didn't, he got nominated and never won. And then he finally won a couple of years ago for Blade Runner 2049, which really seemed, it was visually stunning, but it also seemed like they were like, okay, we're finally going to give you one. And I'm glad to see him win again. I hope he continues to win. They've got a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of chances to make up. Hopefully they get a lot more chances to make up to Roger Deakins. So well-deserved there. Best production design. Once upon a time in Hollywood gets the win. That was what I was predicting. And that's what I was, uh, I was hoping for it was totally well deserved you totally feel like you're in hollywood in 1969 and um and i think that yeah quentin's team barbara ling and nancy high did a great uh, great job they get the win so the sound awards are next these are the ones that i think nobody really understands and nobody really knows the difference i did find uh one one critic did finally pointed out on a show I was listening to the other day where sound editing is where they decide what gets heard. Mixing is how you hear it. So that's a better way to think about it. So the sound editing, another win for Ford v. Ferrari. This was cool. Uh, very. Uh, the sound categories always seem to go to battle movies or movies with motors or engines and... Uh, just very distinct sounds. Uh, another reason why Star Wars was nom nominated here. But good to see Ford v. Ferrari get the victory. Uh, I'm surprised it, it got it over 1917. But actually, 1917 got the mixing award, which kind of makes more sense. Uh, they did go uh, because that the sound was mixed mixed well, along with all the other productional uh, achievements that it had with being one take and everything. So good for Ford v. Ferrari, good for 1917. The original song went to "I'm Gonna Love Me Again" from Rocket Man, music by Elton John. That's pretty much it. Was pretty much a go-to uh, for sure. It won the Golden Globe. I didn't. I don't think there was ever anybody in in uh, contention. I did kind of like stand up from Harriet, uh, just because Cynthia Revio is so talented and she's one of my favorite actors or working today. But uh, I did not, and I didn't get a chance to see Rocket Man, unfortunately. But I knew it was a pretty much a shoe in. It was winning any any song awards. It was already getting the win. Best original score went to. Uh, Joker, Hilder, Gudenatir. I know I butchered that, but everyone else is too, so I don't feel so bad. But a uh, huge win, first time a woman uh, to win a score award since I believe '98. So it's been a long time coming, and it was a great score. Uh, I'm looking at the other nominees: Little Women, like I said, didn't see Marriage Story, didn't really stick out to me. 1917, and then Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. It would have been cool to see John Williams get another win. I think um, he would have set a record, or I might be thinking of. Uh, 
somebody else. But uh, good to see Joker. It, it definitely was the most immersive score, uh, especially for the type of movie that it was. Um, da, 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 animated short film here, Hair Love. Uh, I did not see any of the short films. The Neighbors win, Window won Best Live Action Short. Documentary Short was Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone if you're a girl. Best Documentary Feature went to American Factory. That was the documentary. Everyone pretty much predicted it was going to win. It was financed uh, or... Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure exactly what their role was. I think financed the uh, president and Michelle Obama uh, were behind that pro- uh, project. So no surprise that the Academy uh, got it, or gave the award to them. I've heard another documentary, the year of great documentaries, not even getting nominated, Apollo 11. Uh, everybody loved it. And again, not even nominated. Uh, Best International Film. This one it was probably the most easiest one to predict. It went to South Korea's Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho. And uh, boy, did Parasite <laughs> take uh, surprise the night. But yeah, that was um, that was the first go-to. Everybody knew it was coming. The Best Animated Feature went to Toy Story 4. That was who I was rooting for. Uh, but I know there's a lot of fans that uh, really love Klaus and I Lost My Body. So I was surprised. I kind of thought maybe Klaus would take it. But Toy Story 4 was more of the safer choice. And again, you're talking the Academy. It's five, or actually, I think I saw the number. I think it's up to 8,000 people now. And Toy Story is just the safe bet, Pixar. And it was a great film. I, I really loved it. I haven't seen any of the other ones. But uh, I know I've heard good things about Klaus and I Lost My Body. But I know I, I did love Toy Story 4. And Best Adapted Screenplay went to Jojo Rabbit by Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi, one of the most talented people working in the business today. And it was a great script, and it was really cool. He had a very emotional speech um, about, uh, and glad to uh, glad to see him win, or very, you know, very good speech picking up the win. And, um, yeah, so well-deserved in Jojo Rabbit. One of the movies that I'm surprised at first, it didn't really strike me as anything very special. I knew it was one of the best films of the year, but it wasn't uh, necessarily that big, but it has stayed with me more and more. Um, Best original screenplay. This was the first big surprise of the night. It went to Parasite. Bong Joon-ho and Han Jin-wan. Huge win. Didn't see it coming. It's not totally surprising because of it won the Writers Guild, but I thought with Tarantino, he wasn't in the Writers Guild because he's not a member. So here he was going up against Tarantino and uh and by god he he beat him he beat tarantino i did not uh did not predict that so parasite gets the win i also part of me wanted knives out to win uh but once upon a time was definitely my pick and man <laughs> tarantino's got to be seething after uh after that uh best supporting actress the, these now the categories the next four are pretty much we're all shoe ins uh, Laura Dern, Marriage Story, everybody knew that was going to happen, and it did. Best Supporting Actor, Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, everybody it, it, it thought it was going to happen, and it did. Best Actress went to Renee Zellweger for Judy, everyone thought it was going to happen, and it did. Best Actor, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, everyone thought it was going to happen, and it did. So, congrats to all, very very good performances, a lot of, uh, a lot of talented people involved this year. Now, the big upsets, two of them. First one, Best Director, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Wow, uh, I did not see that coming. I thought it was for sure going to be Sam Mendes for 1917 for just such a technical achievement, and what uh, and for for what that movie could be. And it was a very safe choice for considering the the same Academy voted Green Book Best Picture last year. And it just seems I just for sure in the director category, especially I'll add this to it: Sam Mendes won the Directors Guild Award for for Best Director, and normally. 
if you look at the history, that ward award is almost maybe once every decade. It is not co- correlated to the Oscar winner. And I think they've already had one miss this year. This decade was Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck won the DGA back in, I think, 2012. And, and then he didn't get even nominated for an Oscar. Well, here, Sam Mendes won the DGA. He was nominated for an Oscar. And then he loses the Oscar. How do you predict that? But huge win. Never saw. I never saw it come and never heard anybody predict it. Bong Joon-ho, crazy win. And uh, what, a, what a big win for him. And then the big one of the night, best picture, going to... Parasite, Quan or Quak Sin I, I'm probably butchering that. And then Bong Joon Ho as producer. Bong Joon Ho becomes the first person to, I believe, tie Walt Disney's record for the most Oscars in one night because his name was on every single category. And Parasite wins Best Picture. Wow! Again, never saw it coming. I know a lot of critics groups named Parasite its Best Picture, and um. And yeah, it's been getting a lot of love in the last couple of weeks. And boy, did it uh, get an upset victory! I, I was very uh, interested to see where where things would fall and what would what would win. I wonder what would win if you take Parasite out. I was just rooting personally for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I thought 1917 was for sure going to take it just because again, it's being such a safe choice and knowing that Mendez thinking that Mendez was going to be a shoe in for Best Director. I just never thought Parasite would get the momentum, but it had a strong, a strong, a, um, a campaign the last few weeks, and uh, it must have helped because uh, man, never, never would have saw it. It breaks history, breaks the mold. First time a non-English language film wins Best Picture, and they got a standing ovation for it, and it was a nice, uh, nice night. So congrats to everyone involved. That was such a special moment. I. Um, I kept. I've been kicking myself for not getting out and seeing Parasite. I'm going to try and get it. Actually, their their um, uh, company handling their release here in the states, Neon, has uh, now increased its theater count after winning Best Picture. So that should help it. I'm going to try and get out and see it myself. So again, Best Picture going to Parasite. Uh, crazy, crazy stuff. Did not did not see uh, see that coming. But uh, we will. Drop that, and we will shift gears now to the new movie that came out this past week. Oh, actually, before we go on the Oscars, uh, we did see this reported. Uh, I'm reading this from Collider.com. It has the 2020 Oscars ratings hit an all-time low with 23.6 million viewers, and it, it is a 20% drop since the 2019. And the 2019 ceremony last year was the first time it had seen the ceremony had seen an increase since 2014. And this is a big topic. We could go on a long time for this. I know there, for one thing, in 2014 was where we started a long a string of years, and it had been it had been building, and it's, it's been going down for for years and years and years. But 2014 was around the time we started seeing more and more independent films. I think that was the year Birdman won, and that was the year where I think out of the nine films that were nominated. Altogether, they barely made sixty million. I, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that that was, yeah, that was a year where they couldn't. I mean, look, if 1917 would have won the Oscar, it'd have been the first Oscar, first Best Picture to win, uh, to that had grossed over a hundred million dollars or over 120 since Argo, which was back in 2012, eight years ago. Um, but again, 2014, yeah, I, I want to say that was the year Birdman won, and it was the year where almost eight of the eight of the nine nominees, or all of, all of the nominees put together, barely 
made 80 million or 60 million. It might even probably 80 million. So that's crazy. And so it just showed that all the awards love is going to movies that frankly, no one sees uh, not in a large scale sees, but then they all scratch their heads and wonder why the numbers go down. Well, I hate to tell you, but people, average people that are sitting on their couch at home want to watch and they want to root. They like rooting for a certain movie. And unless you're a hardcore film buff that's going out and making your, like like myself that's making an effort to go out and see as many movies as you can in the theater there's just or by any means necessary there's just not going to be that much interest when you see a bunch of movies that you've never heard of and you watch an award show so who knows um and depends on what they do i you know there's another argument that um you know the the oscars were pretty Again, they always, it seems like in the last few years, maybe it's always been this way. I know I, I did not watch the entire ceremony. I just caught the highlights yesterday, Monday, because usually it's it's become more and more prevalent for the artists to, when it, with the, instead of being kind of focusing on the art form and thanking them, that, you know, and talking about what the story means or what the film means, they use it to uh, also pivot into a political diatribe something to lecture the audience and i'm not asking you to believe one way or the other i'm just saying me as a viewer i don't really like hearing i don't really i see that stuff enough in my own my everyday life i I, we see it so much and as a 24-hour news cycle we have all this stuff thrown at us but then we try to watch an award show just kick back and watch an award show and celebrate and for people like me and i'm assuming you that listening to a movie podcast want to celebrate the industry of film and what it does and instead, they take that opportunity to and, and grab their statue and metaphorically whack us over the head with whatever they think because we're supposed to just worship at their feet and take whatever they say as the God's honest truth and go and, and not have any, any kind of secondary thought or any kind of evidence. We just kind of take their thought and run with it and, um, you know, and take that for what you will. Maybe you enjoy everything that they say, and that's fine. That's totally fine. I'm just saying for me as a viewer, I'm trying to forget about life for a few hours and enjoy and get caught up in the glitz and the glamour and, and again, appreciate the year that was 2019 in film. And it was nice. And it's nice. Nothing against, you know, like parasite there. They seem to be the most, it's probably part of me was actually glad they won. And some, in some form, even though I haven't seen the film is because you can just tell of the pure joy that they had in the, um, and they don't come in with any of these, uh, especially being from South Korea. They're not; they don't live here for one, so they're not wrapped in to any of the uh, the political issues. Where it just unfortunately, it seems like it uh, those issues that drive the lives of so many of these performers that uh, that we all love. And it, it's it's um, sad to see them use that platform and and they do it in such a such a lecturing and and um, an angry way too. And just uh, it's sad to think that that's what almost sometimes it seems like it consumes their life. But again, you may like what they said. It seems, and overall the messages were fine. Um, but no matter what your message is, it, um, it, it, when it, when it gets into a lecturing point and it touches on certain subjects, it really, I believe it turns people off and that's what leads to a 20% drop in viewership, especially after multiple years of down, 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 down trajectory last year. I don't think it was very bad. I don't recall it being very bad last year. And it was it was a fine ceremony, and then it, it came back up, and so I'm I'm throwing that out there. It may be a reason. It could also just be, it's a long commitment too. Uh, the Oscars are a three three four hour commitment. A lot of people can't uh, can't watch that. And again, 
uh, did, did anybody see that many movies? That's, it's a long, like I said, it's a big topic. We could be here a long time, uh, but we'll move on here. Now we'll talk about the review of the week, talking about the new film from the DCEU and Warner Brothers. It is Birds of Prey, starring Margot Robbie, who also produced the film. And also stars Mary, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, who most of you probably know from Fargo Season 3. And I actually just watched a movie with her from a few years ago called uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and it was great. She was great in it. But then you have um, Journey Smollett-Bell and Rosie Perez. And then you, of course, then you have the villain played by Ewan McGregor. He plays uh, Black Mask, Roman Sinonis, uh, and... Um, and um, and a few others, but it just hit theaters over the past past weekend. A lot of news coming out now. I'm sure most of you have probably heard, but it came out to underwhelming performance, box office performance, and it um, there's it's a two sided coin here. People are saying, oh, see, there's people that had a a specific narrative about this movie, and. They, they pretty much wanted to hate it because they knew it was, uh, from what the creators had, had been saying, it they had been marketing it also as, partly as a movie that is about um, pushing a, it's an all-women, look, it's a primarily female cast, it's directed by a woman, it's um, just kind of, they... they took this approach, which I don't agree with, but it's, it's an aggressive approach, basically saying, at, like saying, screw you. It's an all. It, we're we're making an all female movie. Not that they said screw you. I'm not putting words in their mouth. They didn't say that. They've been kind of. It looks like they've been doing it pretty normal. But it's just in interviews and certain things, on the uh, on the trail of release for this movie, uh, Margot Robbie and others. It's just it's an all. Fe- they just really emphasize the fact that it was female, 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 and nothing wrong with that. I'm I'm totally down with seeing a female led action film. Nothing. I don't really get the lecturing. I don't really get why you have to point out to people like hey. We're going to do this. We're going to do it because you know we, we want to drive this point home. Because to me, it just kind of sh- says that you're doing it. You're not doing it because it's a great story. You're doing it because you want to send a message. And that, that to me, that message usually never works when you, when that's the origin of your plan. But let's get into this movie. I, I mean, at at the same time, Margot Robbie, from what I, I've um, researched, I I did. After Suicide Squad, and she she was so interested in the character, I, I respect her for this, is that she went out and actually read The Birds of Prey and read, really put in the work and did some more origins of the character of Harley Quinn and really wanted to make this movie. And again, the movie wasn't originally R-rated. The studio didn't want it, but she really pushed for it, and she, again, is the producer. So this is really a passion project for her. And she, um, no doubt, helped getting the cast together. And then... Uh, this movie had some production problems. They Kathy Yan, uh, not really uh, for whatever reason they had to bring in the director of uh, um, of um, uh, John Wick uh, to direct the the action scenes. The uh, he also had to bring in the editor Evan Schiff to help uh, edit the film. It just seemed like um, so. So long story short, it seems like they had some um some production issues uh not sure why but uh for whatever reason it just seemed it seemed to be troubled i can tell you that um that i didn't i try to always avoid trailers i didn't i try to go in as with as little information as possible i did not uh know what i was going to get into i knew it had margot robbie in it i knew 
Um, and it was about Harley Quinn and, and it was going to introduce the birds of prey and that's it. Looking uh, after seeing the movie, I can tell you, I did not like this movie. It is not as bad as some people are going to tell you it is. Some people ran with it and said, again, they had that this agenda against the movie saying that it was because they don't want it. They think it, they called it a woke movie. It's going to push that woke agenda, which there are elements of that in this film, but I didn't walk away thinking it was really that, uh, that insulting or that that it was really pushing that narrative. It was there. It was definitely there, but they didn't hit you over the head with it, which so many movies want to do nowadays. So I appreciated that. It didn't, like I said, it didn't do that for me. Uh, I thought it was just, it, there's a lot of individual moments that are really good, but they just, the whole didn't really work. And I've heard others have that, have that, uh, that takeaway. I, I thought the action was really well choreographed. I thought most of the fight scenes were pretty good. For being an R-rated film, though, I found it to be lacking. Uh, they did not. People are saying, "Oh, this is the DC version of Deadpool." I don't. I, I wouldn't go that far. Deadpool really leaned into the R rating. There was blood. There was um, limbs being torn off. There's, um, you know, and there's other stuff here. There are some limbs being broke, no doubt. And there's some. Uh, <laughs> well, I, it's not too much of a spoiler, but there are some faces that get cut off. But it's not. I didn't find it necessarily overly graphic. Joker was way more graphic. And I didn't even find Joker to be that violent, necessarily, except in the in the third act. But I and and I hear, I guess, mostly it's language. And again, there are some broken limbs and um, and some other stuff. But it wasn't. I I didn't find it to be overtly R-rated. Kind of like Killing Joke was a couple of years ago. They really went after with how it was totally. They made it such a big deal. Oh, it's R-rated. It's R-rated. And they barely had anything R-rated. They they used a couple swear words and that was it. And that's kind of kind of like here. Um, I thought the problem was just the script mostly. The uh, some of the lines didn't work for me, especially in the third act. More so, I thought Margot Robbie was great as Harley Quinn. You can tell she loves being in the role. She's charismatic. She's definitely uh, at the point where you kind of feel like she she can do no wrong. Like every role she does, she's going to bring that life to it and. It's going to be hard for her not to do it, but she really is great as Harley Quinn. I I really loved Mary Elizabeth Winstead or Weinstead. I've, I've again since Ten Cloverfield Lane, I, and I rewatched it again recently. She was great in that. She's great in this. I did have a problem with her character though. She plays the huntress, and she um, they didn't really introduce her until the third act. Up until then, we don't really know. We and and even they give us kind of a backstory on her, but they didn't. It didn't really work uh, for me, but she was really, she was badass, but mostly because she didn't get to say anything. <laughs> and, uh, and at, by the end, it's like, she just jumps in and it's like, okay. Uh, um, and then uh, Journey Smollett-Bell, she was great. She was actually one of the key parts of the film and she was, she was great. Rosie Perez was fine. I, I, a lot of people have been really loving her performance. It didn't necessarily work for me. That's her character is really the centered around the type of stuff where they're working in that that anti that anti male agenda that where you know she plays a detective who hasn't been looked over for jobs because because there's a because some her partner got the job and he sucks because and that's bad because he's simply because he's a man and she doesn't move up in the apartment because the police chief is a man. Um, it just kind of gets eye rolling at times, but. Um, but it is a it, it, it's it's a legitimate enough part of a story that you can say so um, so it's not a huge issue but that's it, I guess that made it harder for me to really like her character because it didn't really she didn't really overcome anything she just it just uh, she was just playing a victim the um, 
the action again very very good i think it was a very colorful movie it played into the it reminded me of a comic book film a lot of a lot of bright colors used and and again good good action ewan mcgregor is the villain he was very over the top and i couldn't buy him for a second it looked like he was having the time of his life uh but again the, the i didn't really get where this villain was coming from he he calls himself black mask and he wears a black mask at one point in the film, but I don't know what that mask really does for him. If it really gives him any kind of ability or anything, it didn't, they didn't really show. And it definitely wasn't for his identity because as soon as he puts his mask on, he says his name. So, uh, that part had me scratching my head and I don't know enough about the character from the comics. So maybe that's a true portrayal. I, I, I can't tell you, I can tell you for me in this, in the, uh, for what was this movie, it didn't work, uh, for me. And I, th- I found him to be very unbelievable, as well as his uh, his uh, Victor Zaz, his um, his uh, partner um, or his uh, si- henchman. It didn't didn't really work for me. And there was another thing with Bell's char- Smollett Bell's character. She um, is developed. She has a, a certain uh, she develops a certain ability. I don't want to spoil it for those that haven't seen it, but she, by the end of the film, and it affects. She's able to do things with it. And the thing is, is it totally affects the bad guys, but it doesn't affect Harley Quinn, who gets in the in the way of said ability. And I, I don't want to. <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe, but I don't want to go after it anymore um, because it is kind of. They do kind of build up to that moment. And her her character is called Black Canary. It is something to do with her voice, but that execution really didn't come through. It's a problem that all these DC films have. They they cannot go with a continuity. They can't give you a Something just well thought out, something that makes fully complete sense. And I'm and I'm not calling for absolute logic. It's just like also I'm a pro wrestling fan too, and the pro wrestling fan of me was picking apart this movie because of the fighting. So at one minute, all the the birds of prey are are they just they smoke through like especially Harley Quinn at one point she goes through like three guys that are like six feet eight. 250 pounds and then the next minute she's getting she gets uh you know beat up by a person who's half her size or her size or less i mean it just that's the part that's the pro wrestling fan of me was like wait a minute if you can take you can take down three big guys why can you not take down this little little woman or little guy a little smaller person it's just it didn't there were no stakes um that was another thing is even though the action was well done, well choreographed, the fight scenes, again, from a logical stand, from a making sense standpoint for the story, there were no limits. It's just I, I never really felt that I doubted the Birds of Prey's chances of, of winning or Margot Robbie's chances. There were because one minute they, they were just plowing through all these guys and then the next the person who has to to fit the to fit the screenplay has to take them down and it just all of a sudden works even though that person's not as intimidating as the people they just went through it didn't make sense to me it was all over the place i know i'm ranting it is um it's got some good individual parts good performances good uh choreography good fight scenes good production design and stuff it's just not a complete whole good movie. I think it might be better if you. Main thing is don't go out to the theaters to see this. I don't. I can't recommend you do that. I can say maybe wait and catch it on a VOD or a streaming option when uh, when you get the chance because it's it's got a lot to like visually. It's just that that story continuity and all of it fitting together. Um, it just didn't work for me. And I know uh, you know a lot of times I don't. <laughs> I try not to complain about logic because 
no movie is logical really at the end of the day, but there are times where, um, certain things just, uh, just nick at you and they, they bothered me. But anyway, maybe you guys would go to it and like it. Uh, go check it out for yourself. If you, if you see the trailers, you think it looks interesting, then it's probably something that you want to check out. But again, the numbers, box office coming in, underwhelming performance. There's a lot of factors for that. Some say it's because of the the wokeness. I don't know if it's necessarily that. I think it's partly to do with the R rating that, uh, that there's been, um, um, demographic numbers released that it comparing it to Suicide Squad, where a lot of younger people went to see Suicide Squad. It was only PG 13. Here, they're the I think it was 60 or 48 percent of the audience was over 25, so it's going older, but young people can't see it. Where I think the character of Harley Quinn is definitely popular, I think it's um. It definitely caught on. I went to a Comic-Con, my local Comic-Con, and there were a ton of Harley Quinn costumes out there. And Harley Quinn's always been a popular character, but I think it's even gotten bigger with the help of, of Suicide Squad and Margot Robbie's performance. So I don't really know. And some people are saying, well, maybe she's not as popular as we thought. I, I think she's pretty popular. Now, there's an argument also to be said that she is a side character of a side character because Joker is a villain and Harley is... Joker's a side character as a villain. Harley's his sidekick. So can you really base a movie on a sidekick? <clears throat> and I can't... I think you can make a movie about anything if you really want to. My problem, especially in the DC universe, is with Margot Robbie, or with uh, Harley Quinn, same with problem that I had with Joker, and the same problem I had with Suicide Squad, is that at the end of the day, at the core, you're talking about a group of people that are bad. They are bad people. And this movie doesn't shy away from that. Harley is her... Harley is a bad person. She's a villain. She's a psychotic person. And instead, they just make the tone a little lighter and make her a little more funny. And they make her kind of seem good, but at the end of the day, she's bad. So to me, it just seems like what was the point of going on this journey where we're watching bad people do bad things and we're, hope, and we're hoping you make us root for them to survive this <laughs> this event where... You know, at the end of the day, they're bad people. They deserve, you know, they're um, they're not really who. It's kind of hard for me to root for. And coming in with that knowledge, and it was the same thing with Joker. It, it was a good, great character study, but that character study was done as at the center of an entire film. And that entire film, it was probably the best they could have done. And at least there, it was an origin story. But Suicide Squad is probably the bigger problem. Suicide Squad, you're watching a team of bad people team up to be good. But at the end of the day, they're bad. So how can you root for them? It just doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I've talked enough about this movie. I think it's bad. I think it's 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 well produced, or the production values are fine. The action's fine. Performances are fine. Story, not so fine. And continuity, not so fine. So maybe you guys can go out there and like it and maybe have a different point of view. But that is uh, it for me today, everybody. I am running long. It's a, it, I know it's a shorter episode, but um, I will be back again in very soon. Hopefully, we will <laughs> should be back in a couple of days to talk about more news. We've got Sonic the Hedgehog coming out this weekend. We've got uh, several, a couple other films, actually. We have uh, Fantasy Island, Michael Pena's project. I didn't even know it was coming out until now. And um, yeah, we've got, we got a lot to get into. So the movie season continues to roll on. We've got the Oscars behind us. We're moving in on to 2020, on to bigger and better things. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. Again, I'll talk to you again very, very, very soon. Until next time, take care.